Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery from Relapse. Today is Tuesday, the 27th of February, 2024. I'm absolutely delighted today to welcome Terry W. Terry Hales from Massachusetts. She's going to spare, share her experience, strength and hope. She first came to OA in 1992. And Terry, I'm going to hand it over to you now to tell us your story. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon. I'm Terry W. Um, I'm from Massachusetts, as Rita just said. And Rita, thank you so much for inviting me to speak today. Um, so before I begin, God is the hero of my story and God has done for me what I could never, ever do for myself. And I have to start off with that because that's the story of my life. Um, and the title of my share today is going to be Terry's Opinion versus the Doctor's Opinion. And I'm also going to share with you today where I was, where I am today and how I got here. Um, I've been in this program 32 years and 26 of them abstinent with for no flour and sugar. Um, and I, so I've been recovered for 20, actually I've been recovered for three years now. And what that means is that, I mean, people ask what recovered means. It's just for today. And it means that I am in fit spiritual condition and I do not obsess about food or eating at all during the day. It also means that I must stay in fit spiritual condition by working steps 10, 11, and 12. And I've also had a spiritual awakening. Um, and my heart goes it gets to recover, like I have a personality change now because of that. Um, my story is a little complicated. I was extreme anorexic. I was 72 pounds um, and I also bulimic in which I binged and purged 13 hours a day. When I was anorexic, I was only 72 pounds. Um, and I, I think it's important we talk about anorexia and bulimia because a lot of people don't understand the disease. And a lot of people have sponsees and they don't understand that, that the crazy thinking that comes along when people are anorexic and bulimic. Um, so to begin with, I had a very strange relationship to food when I was very, very young. Um, I re can remember when I was three years old, climbing up my Grammy's little uh, a step stool and I climbed up to the shelf at my Grammy's and I ate a whole bottle of baby aspirin. And I can remember that distinctly, which is so strange. And then a year later, I ate a whole bottle of Chalk's vitamins. And I think there was like 62 or 72 vitamins in there. And they were so good. And I can still remember that distinctly too. And that's back in the day where they didn't have the childproof caps. Um, and when I got a little older, I started to eat my toys, which I don't think is a normal behavior, but um, for us that are older, um, I used to have a Gumby and Pokey, those little, um, the little horse and the little Gumby was a green little figure that was bendable. And, um, it was about 12, 13 inches, this bendable little, um, rubber figure. And I ate all the rubber off the toy. And I remember hiding in the closet, eating the rubber. And I came out with the wire in my hand and I can say, mom, look, I ate my Gumby. And I was so proud. I mean, so that's kind of not normal behavior for a child um, to eat her toys, but that's part of my story. And I can remember, I used to think I was so cool because I used to take cereal. I used to take Fruit Loops and Cheerios and I would string them and I would wear them around my neck like a necklace. And I would wear them every day to school thinking I was so cool. And um, But I mostly would eat them before I even got to class. So, but I thought I was it wearing all my food around my neck. Um, and I can remember even growing up at Grammy's house, I used to always volunteer to do the dishes because that way I could sneak all the desserts while everybody was in the other room, you know, the extra extra uh, ice cream and all that. But, you know, growing up, I ate massive, massive, massive amounts of food. 
I make, I, my mother would bring home a dozen of those round things on Sunday and I would eat 11 of them and, and I'd get punished because I did that every week. Um, and I can remember going to the beach every summer and um, everyone would get one of something and I'd have to get two or three of the same thing. I, I just ate and ate and ate. And even growing up when I started dating, I was eating more than my boyfriends ate. Um, but I really didn't gain weight. I was very athletic. Um, I can remember when I was young, I did the hurdles in, in school. Then junior high, I was a gymnast and I did gymnastics six nights a week. I uh, competed in the, the shows they had. So I was always, always active and I never gained any weight. Um, so one thing that happened to me was when I was 19 years old, I had a disease of the nervous system, which is called Guillain-Barre, Guillain-Barre. And those of you who are in the nursing industry or medical industry knows what that is, but it's when your antibodies kill your own antibodies. And I went to the hospital. They said, you can be here for two days to a couple of years. We don't know. And within a week, I lost the function of my arms and my legs. Um, and within a few more weeks, I was a full quadriplegic. I couldn't move, I couldn't speak, breathe, I couldn't go to the bathroom, I couldn't blink. Um, I couldn't do anything. So they said, you know, I will never get my legs back. And I fought so, so hard and asked God so hard for me to just move my arms. That was my only goal so that I could just move around in a wheelchair. And I am written up in journals, I'm a true miracle. I mean, I am so blessed by God. I have all full functionality back. Um, but I had to learn how to write again, like a, like a baby, how to stand, like how to walk again, how to tie my shoes again. Um, but it was the, the reason I bring that up is I was 63 pounds and I was so, so thin. And they kept saying, Terry, eat, 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 eat. All we want you to do is eat. And of course, that was my specialty. So all I did was like eat massive amounts of food. Um, and I believe that was one of my search and rescues from God. I really do, because I was read my rights to die twice during that time. Um, so that was one of my search and rescues. In my 20s, I was a professional bodybuilder. So I guess I didn't gain weight, in, you know, I gained muscle. But, you know, I ate what I was supposed to be eating. And I only had 4% body fat. And I thought I was perfect. You know, how in the, in the big book, it says the bill has arrived. I thought I had arrived. My life was, you know the best, but um, it really wasn't about what I weighed. And my life began to crumble. Um, I would say when my grandmother passed away because she raised me and she was my world and my life. And that's when my anorexia started to um, come about. Um, I was very, had very restrictive behavior and obsessive compulsive behavior. Um, I had to walk five miles every day maybe six, but I could not miss a day. I mean, I missed, I think, two days in five years. I had to walk. Um, I would cry the whole time I walked. I mean, my life was just so sad. Uh, at work, I'd put food in my mouth, like I would pretend I'd be eating and, you know, I would just spit it out in a napkin. I wouldn't swallow food. And, you know, I'd be honest, at one point I ate eight raisins a day and that's all I ate. Um, and it was pretty sad, you know, and I chewed 10 to 20 packs of gum a day. You hear a lot of people that do that. And I weighed myself four or five times a day. And what is really sad when I look back is if I was over 82 pounds, I wouldn't leave the house because that was unacceptable. Um, I isolated. So I covered every window in my house with construction paper so no one could see in my windows. 
Um, I was so cold all the time because I was so thin. And when I look back at it, I grew hair on the side of my face, um, like really thick, thick hair, because I was so thin and my body was just so freezing all the time. My feet would sweat. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. Um, my friends would come over and knock on the door and I wouldn't answer the door. I'd be hiding under the table and people would call me and I wouldn't answer the phone. Um, it was, I just didn't take care of myself. I didn't care. I wouldn't shower. I didn't, I wouldn't even open my mail. I, I just, I was so irresponsible and just wanted to just actually wanted to die. Actually. Um, I want to add my laxative abuse was horrific. Um, I used to go walking in the morning and, you know, I'd have to go to the bathroom like every five minutes or wherever I went, I had to know where the bathroom was located. Like if I was to go out, say the next day, I'm like, where is, where's the bathroom? And every single place I went because I took so many laxatives and my, my life revolved around where every bathroom was and I'm laughing, but it, it's not funny. You know, that it's pretty sad. Um, as I said, a compulsive obsessive behavior, I had to touch my stove like 10, 15 times before I left the house. Um, and all I did was pray to be skinny. That's all I wanted. Um, but as we know in, in the steps, which we just read um, in step one, I'm powerless over food and my life has become unmanageable. Well, there's no question that my life was um, very unmanageable at the time. I got fired from my job and they said it was because that they didn't have enough insurance in case I fell down the stairs. They repossessed my car, turned off the gas in my, my apartment. Um, I was four months behind on my rent. And again, at this time, I would not speak with anybody. I isolated and I wouldn't leave the house at all except to buy food if I was over 82 pounds. So, you know, the big book talks about on page 52, the bedevilments. Um, did I have trouble with personal relationships? Yeah, I didn't have any. Uh, couldn't control my emotions? No, I just cried. Prayed of misery and depression? Yes, I, I wanted to die. Couldn't make a living? No, I had no job, right? I had feeling of uselessness. Yes, I was stupid and no good. Full of fear. Yes, I was unhappy, miserable. And I couldn't be helped to other people. I couldn't be helped to anyone because I couldn't even be helped to myself. So that's true that my life was unmanageable. Um, and everyone talked behind me back. They're like, is, is she dying of cancer? What's wrong with her? And to be honest with you, if you looked at me back then, my eyes were just jet black. And my eyes are blue and they're beautiful. But back then I had nothing in my soul. It was just empty. And I was just so lonely and, and in so much pain. All I wanted was someone to love me. That's all I wanted. Um, one thing about anorexics is they often steal. And it's funny because um, I actually did get caught stealing and got arrested. And um, I had to go to court. So I researched everything that was about anorexia. And when you're at such a low weight, um, your, your electrolytes are off and you don't think straight. So uh, uh, 90 something percent of anorexic steel, I found out. So I went to court and I showed the documentations that I had found in research and I got off. But, you know, I thought God was really telling me to steal these things at the time. And, and God was not telling me to steal these things. So the anorexia was pretty bad. Like, I mean, I was pretty, pretty sick. But I want to fast forward to the bulimia because bulimia was the gates of hell. Um, anorexia, I just thought I was fat. 
So that really wasn't at the time devastating to me. But the bulimia was just un, unimaginable. My um, girlfriend said she was throwing up her food and she's like, Terry, come throw up with me. And I'm like, I can't. I tried and tried and I couldn't do it. And after a couple of weeks, I kept trying. And you know what? I was a pro at it. And um, she stopped throwing up. But I ended up throwing up 13 hours a day, um, which was pretty sad for several, several years. I would get up exactly at 4 o'clock in the morning every day, call the bakeries, order what I wanted. Um, and, and I was... And place food all over my house. Like I'd spend the whole day shopping for food, place hundreds, I would say $130 a day of food, of crap around my kitchen. And at four o'clock, bingo, I would eat and throw up till three in the morning. So if we talk, if I think about that, that's, I think only three hours of the day that I wasn't thinking about food. Um, it was really sad. Um, and what I used to do was I would at, three o'clock in the morning, throw my food in the dumpster because I live near a restaurant and I would spray Windex all over everything and Clorox bleach and, you know, because I didn't want to go back, but I would find myself in that dumpster um, climbing in there in the middle of the night and I would take the food out of the garbage bag and I would eat it with the Windex and the Clorox on it. I didn't care. All I had to, I had to eat and just throw it up. Um, and one thing that's very People laugh, but it's, again, it's very embarrassing as my car broke down. Um, and I mean, when you're bulimic or I had to eat and throw up, there was no exception. So what do I do? How did I, what was I going to do? So um, I didn't have much money at the time, but I did know the friends at the gas station down the street. So I rented a U-Haul. I rented a U-Haul for a family of 12 to move across the United States for me to go buy food at the grocery stores. So here I am driving around in a U-Haul, stopping at the grocery stores, buying all the food for me to binge and throw up. Who does that? I mean, that's crazy. And um, I used to buy, uh, I mean, as for $130 worth of food, it was a lot. And I used to buy a sheet cake every night of the week, uh, like a graduation size sheet cake. And that would be part of my binge. Um, and I'd have them write happy birthday, Terry, on, on top of the cake. And I'd go to like 10 different stores because obviously it wasn't my birthday every day. But um, for some reason, it was just so sick. And um, I would have panic attacks if I didn't eat at exactly four o'clock. I had to, I mean, I had this schedule. I had obsessive compulsive behavior and that's when I had to eat. And I would stick my head in a toilet absolutely anywhere. I could throw up on my clothes. Um, I remember going to this, a uh, place that sold ice cream with a pad of paper. And I literally did this all the time is I'd have a list of like seven names and I'd be like, Judy wants this with four scoops of this and this topping and Carla wants this. And I'd read the whole list of what, you know, and order all this food and it was for me. But food controlled me and I could not stop. I no longer controlled what I ate. So food went in my mouth without my permission. And I want to repeat that food went in my mouth without my permission. Um, it was pretty sad. Um, and in the big book on page five, it says liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. And food for me was a necessity. Um, and on page eight in the big book, 
No words can tell the loneliness and despair I found in the bitter morass of self-pity. Quick sand stretched around me in all directions. I met my match. I've been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. And food was my master. No question about it. And I can remember one day my mother said she was coming over, you know, to go for a walk with me. And if you if you would walk with me, yes, I, I would I would be with you if you want to walk five miles. And I opened the door for my mom, and that was the horrific intervention that they had for me. I opened the door, there was, I'd say, eight or ten people, all my relatives, friends, and they sit, came into my apartment and said, we're taking you to an institution um, because you're going to die. And I said, uh-uh, I'm not going anywhere. I, they made me step on the scale, and um, I promised I would gain 10 pounds, and I promised I would go to, to meetings and see a psychologist. Of course, I didn't do that. Um, but what scared me at this time was food controlled me and I, I had could, I had no control over it anymore. So that's what horrified me. And that's what really started to make me feel like something was really, 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 really wrong. So I tried to get into an eating disorder clinic. I called everywhere all over the United States. Um, no one would take me because they had no insurance. And I'm like, I am dying. I am dying. I'm, you know, and I'm like, no one would take me. Because I had no money. And I'm like, aren't there like these people that donate money that could, you know, sponsor me? No. So finally, after a long time, I, my psychologist found me a place to go. And I went in there to a treatment center. And uh, I was there 10 minutes. 10 minutes. They took my blood and they said, we're rushing to the hospital immediately because your potassium's so low, you're going to have a heart check and die. So that was my experience in the treatment center, only 10 minutes. So what I ended up doing is my sister said, you know, Terry, I'm taking you to OA. You, you need to go. You're going to die. And I'm like, uh, uh, OK. So I went to meeting with my sister. It was an anorexic bulimic meeting, I think. And I said, no one's like me here. I'm not coming back. I went again, went again and kept crying and going back to these OA meetings. And at one meeting, I remember sitting there and I was having a panic attack because it was four o'clock the time I started eating. And I distinctly remember taking a little post-it on a note, handing it to a lady in front of me who I met once. And I said, I'm having a panic attack. Um, and she just said, honey, just breathe in God and breathe out fear. But as I left that day, someone grabbed my hand and said, I'm going to sponsor you. You're going to do what I tell you to do. And I, I was so desperate and so willing that I said, I'm willing to do anything, go to any links. And um, I can remember the first time I ate a full meal was on a Christmas morning. Um, and these vivid memories are just so clear. It's just so we, even when I was three, isn't that funny? But my first real meal, I had two eggs, wheat germ and a banana. And that was the most horrifying day, I think, of my life. That was the most horrifying, horrific day. And it took me 45 minutes to do that. I was horrified, but I was told you cannot have fear and faith in the same body. But, you know, I was told, too, when I at the beginning, a program from my elders, you know, never travel, you know, don't go to restaurants the first 30 days. These, you know, what some sponsors say in a hospitalization period. But I didn't listen to that. I became abstinent and I had no flour, sugar and I had all my um, all my literature. And I was in a program in school and college and they had a, a school in Belgium. And I said, I'm going. 
So I took all of my materials with me to Belgium, had all the meetings, had all the phone numbers, you know, my scales, and I was ready to go. And not one person spoke English. They all spoke French and Flemish. So, you know, what was I supposed to do? I mean, my pro, I talked to my sponsor, you know, once in a while, but, you know, I should have listened and not traveled because my first words in French were, how much is that chocolate on the second shelf? Um, but I knew why I had an eating disorder. Terry, that's, uh, 20 minutes, got 10 minutes left. Thank you. I'll tell you why I have an eating disorder. My father was in prison, died when he was, when I, he was 28. My mother hated me. Don't go to college. No one's going to take you. I was molested. Um, that's why I really thought I had an eating disorder because my life was so horrible. But you know what? That's not why I have an eating disorder. So why am I really eating? Why, well, was I eating? Because I'm not today. But all human beings have emotions, happiness, anger, grief, uh, sadness, jealousy. But because we're human, we take we build these emotions up and we grab the first thing that makes us comfortable. And for me, that was food. Not like other people who talk about it or they run or they do other measures. For me, the thing that gave me the most greatest effect was food. So when I built up all of these emotions, I grabbed the food and I had this amazing effect for seven seconds, seven to nine seconds. And I kept saying, well, maybe this time it'll be different. I can have just one. No. So food is not my problem. I use food as a solution to my problems. So what is the problem? The problem as we learn in the big book is I have an allergy to the body and a mental obsession as the mind. I have an allergy of the body. You mean it's not my fault? My whole life just turned around 360. I thought, you know, I was so stupid. This was my fault. This is why I have a disease. And I'm just wired differently than other people. For example, my friend will put a thing in her mouth and take it out. She'll be fine for the rest of the day. And I'll put something in my mouth and I will be binging and purging for 13 hours, like for a couple of days. So the problem, what is the problem? The problem is I'm powerless. And I want to believe, be relieved from this mental obsession. So the solution is a power greater than myself. And how do I get there? By following 12 steps in the big book. And I tell people the big book is not a story. It's an instruction manual. And this is why we, it's an instruction manual is because we start with step one and we go through each step, which builds upon each to go through the 12 steps. I mean, my world has changed. I read the doc's opinion, as I said, my life. It certainly wasn't Terry's opinion because I had no, I thought I was stupid, but you know what? I read the doc's opinion and Dr. Silkworth tells me, you know, it's not that I, I, want, I do want to stop, yes, but I don't have the power to stop. And I need God to get that power. So I get that by being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Um, and, you know, in OA and 12 and 12 on step 34 in the big book, um, you know, I studied the 12 steps and they all have principles that are attached to them, which is really neat. Um, step one is honesty. Step two is hope. Three is faith. Step four is courage. Five, integrity. Six, willingness. Seven, humility. Eight, brotherly love. Nine, justice, 10, perseverance, 11, spirituality, and 12 is service. 
So my entire life, all I wanted to do was fill that empty hole, that black hole in my heart with the food. And today God fills that heart. I reach my hand out every single day, maybe twice a day. I reach my hand out midair. I grab God and I pull God into my heart. Because that's the only thing that can fill this heart. It's not the food. It's God. And how is my life different today? I don't eat flour, sugar. I have a sponsor. I do sponsor. I weigh almost all of my meals. I call three people a day. I do about six or seven, sometimes eight meetings a week. I do a ton of service. Um, and now today is so different. I co-create with God every day. And I, throughout the day, try to be so clearly aware of my connection to my higher power. It's like a vein from my heart to God. And all through the day, I'm like, is there anything blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit? Do I have resentment? Do I have fear? Do I have jealousy? And if there is something blocking me from God, I do a 10th step. Or I call someone and I talk about it. Um, and today I do two-way prayer. Um, if you haven't heard of that, that's where I write a letter to God. And then I take a few minutes. And then I just take the pen to paper and have God write back. And it's remarkable some of the things that God writes back because there certainly were things that I wrote. But I want to end by saying, you know, why am I here today? Why am I here this morning? I mean, I had Gillian Beret. I was read to die twice. Um, Five minutes. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you. I should be dead for my anorexia. I should be dead for my bulimia. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I almost died choking from throwing up. But the reason I'm here is these search and rescue missions from God is to help others. And I'm here to carry this torch, the light to the spirit of God. Um, and I'm here because of you. And I'm just so grateful to be able to be here today to share my story. Um, and, you know, all we have to do is be willing. And that's, you know, even my favorite chapter in the 12 and 12 in chapter in step three. All we need is that little key just to turn it slightly. And that opens the door to willingness to God. So I want to thank you for letting me share my story today and um, blessings to all of you. Thank you. Oh, Tara, thank you so much. I'm just going to read a little excerpt out of the big book to finish your, finish your story off. It's on page 436. Then a woman introduced herself and said that she was an alcoholic. I knew then I was an AA. She spoke about feelings of insecurity replaced by confidence, fear replaced by faith, resentment replaced by love and despair replaced by joy. I know those feelings. I had insecurity, fear, resentment, and despair. I could not believe it. Here was a person who was happy. It seemed like a long time since I'd seen one of those. After the meeting, people welcomed me with open arms and gave me their telephone numbers. The discussion meeting was followed by a speaker where I had my first awakening in the AA. The speaker said, if you're an apple, you can be the best apple you can be, but you'll never be an orange. I was an apple, all right. And for the first time, I understood that I had spent my life trying to be an orange. I looked around a room filled with apples, and if I was understanding the speaker, most of them were no longer trying to be oranges. 